and is a popular chapel guest speaker. He's a graduate from Southwestern Christian College, 1984, received his MDiv in 1988, and doctorate of ministry in 95 from SMU. He's married to Patricia, has two children, and Jerry, we always look forward to hearing from you and your challenging words for us. So please come up here and tell us about the builders. It is always a privilege to know that we are not alone in this world. We have come from the creator of life and he sustains us while we live and it is my belief that once we leave here, he will continue to hold us in his hand. With that awareness, it should give us a sense of security in a world that seems so insecure. It should give us a sense of courage, even in the face of incidents of terror that seem to be breaking out all over the world and even right here on the American homeland. Regardless of the evil that human beings can concoct, God is still the super ruler and he is still the one who has massive brain power that cannot be competed with. He has divine intelligence and he knows how to run things still. And as his children, we need to be reminded from time to time in the midst of a world that seems to have gone mad that God our Father is still in control of this world. This is our Father's world. And it is not going anywhere until he decides that it's time for it to go. And so I bring you greetings from Abilene, from my wife and my family. And I'm always honored and thankful uh, to receive the invitation uh, to come here at MacArthur Park. And I've been here on several occasions, and on each occasion, I experience warmth and hospitality, and for that I am really grateful. Had the opportunity of sharing a meal uh, with uh, Brother Douglas and his family, and if I don't preach tonight, uh, you will understand why. Uh, I kind of overdid it, so uh, you might get a sermonette tonight, amen. <laughs> The text that has been assigned to me tonight 
is found in the Gospel according to Matthew. Uh, the chapter is 7, and I'd like to begin reading with verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21 and ending with verse 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The two builders. Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with a parable that describes two basic orientations. One orientation is an orientation towards wisdom. The second orientation is an orientation towards foolishness. One orientation is attracted to life. The other orientation is attracted to death. We can choose the orientation of life by putting Jesus' words of wisdom into practice, thus being like a wise builder who built his house upon a rock. Or we can choose the orientation towards death by ignoring Jesus' words of wisdom, thus being like a foolish builder who built his house upon unreliable sand. Eric Fromm, the famed psychoanalyst, called this orientation towards life biophilia, 
Biophilia is the will to live. It is the desire to live. It is an attraction to life. It is adamant about refusing to surrender to death. Biophilia is the celebration of life. Biophilia is pro-life. Eric Fromm also discusses what is known as necrophilia. Necrophilia is a true love for death. It is an attraction to those things that are dead and that have no life in them. Necrophilia, the true love of death, is deeply embedded in the demonic pattern of this present world. Necrophilia is loyal to the idea of death. It chants out loud throughout the world the words that say, long live death. The system of necrophilia has been set up all over the world. The worldwide system of necrophilia seeks to identify and it seeks to destroy the genius of life that exists within each individual. This necrophilic system seeks to destroy any hint of life that exists in the human mind. Because wherever there is a quiver of life in the mind, there must have been some type of recognition of the life of God. For the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The system of necrophilia or the system of death is the worst form of abortion on the planet earth. It is a system that aborts the positive potential of sometimes entire nations and entire continents. It seeks to destroy lives by infiltrating the mind with toxic words of death. The love of life forms what Fromm calls the syndrome of growth. The system of death produces what Fromm calls the syndrome of decay. Life builds up. Death tears down. Any system that undermines the development of the thinking capacity of a human being is a system that promotes the syndrome of decay. And that system intentionally seeks to carry out the murder of the mind. The mind is twisted and it is murdered through the intake of false and misleading information. For whatever information we take into us, it has the power to form us on the inside. That's why it is very important to be careful about the information that you take within your mind because whatever information you take into your mind will have the power to form and to shape your mind. That is why it is important for us to be careful. I think I mentioned to, the, to you 
on a previous occasion, we have to be careful about the information highway. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, we thank God for the internet. There's some good and some bad about it. Can I get an amen? amen? The internet, net, net, net. What is a net designed to do? And then the worldwide So there is information on that information highway that sometimes can serve as a net that can catch people and twist and distort their minds and their thinking. But how many suicide bombers got on the information highway and got information that twisted and distorted their thinking and therefore twisted and distorted their lives and they became killing machines? There's, yeah, there's both good and evil on the information highway. Just like God, you know, told Adam and Eve that if you eat of the tree of the fruit, of the, of the forbidden tree in the garden, your eyes will be open. And therefore you will know both good and evil. And so one of the main computers today, I don't know what kind of fruit they ate of, but they used to tell us, that it was a what? Apple. An apple. How many of y'all got an apple? <laughs> Information highway. And on my Apple computer, there is an emblem of an apple with one bite taken out of it. <laughs> so we got gigabytes and megabytes and we just biting all over the place. <laughs> taking in information not having the spiritual capacity to discern between good and evil. Jesus described Satan as a liar and a murderer. It is the nature of Satan to practice falsehood. It is his business to commit murder. It is his agenda to be anti-life, to be anti-Christ. You cannot be pro-Christ and pro-death at the same time. If you are pro-Christ, you are pro-life. For that is why Jesus came, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, Satan used words deceptively to twist and to distort the minds of the first couple. Even today, Satan has his own public education system. Satan's curriculum is designed to eradicate the mind. So it will make it easy to turn people into things. That is, his agenda is to turn human beings into human things because we become what we look at and what we desire to consume. When Eve looked and saw the fruit and desired to eat of it and when she consumed that thing, she lost some of her being. And the more we become fixated on things, the lust 
of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. The more we fall in love with things, the more we become like things. We even began to value things over people. And we began to view people as things instead of as human beings. Satan's necrophilic educational system of death thrives on human bodies that possess no mind because a brainless, mindless human being can easily be turned into a non-thinking human commodity. Eric Fromm calls this practice mechanized industrialism in which man is transformed into a thing and as a result is filled with anxiety and indifference and will even begin to hate life itself. Well, in light of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7, we are reminded that the world is filled with words. The world is not only filled with words, but the world is filled with deadly words. Deadly words erupt from hearts that are filled with a necrophilic spirit of death. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Deadly words that come from hearts filled with spiritual death are used to construct environments of death and decay. Hearts that are filled with death cannot be satisfied until they construct and build environments of death that will suck the life out of human beings. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus says, he says, watch out for false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Walter Brueggemann says that in the Old Testament, the false prophets spoke false words that led the masses of the people to have a false consciousness. But I would add that false prophets spoke false words that produced in the hearts of their hearers a death consciousness. False prophets have gone out into the world and have set up deceptive systems of mass communication that fills the minds of billions of people with all forms of false propaganda and misinformation. False prophets are under the control of the central intelligence of the God of this world. Nations, individuals, and entire communities are found building their lives and their hopes and their dreams on the false and corrupt information rendered by false prophets. People are putting their confidence in foundations that are made up of wet sand. False prophets are professional liars who speak Satan's native language. False prophets are expert liars that pave the way for individual enslavement as well as preparing the country for national tyranny. 
No individual freedom and no national sovereignty can long endure in the absence of truth. Albert Camus says, we have a right to think that truth with a capital letter is relative, but facts are facts. And whoever says that the sky is blue when it is gray is prostituting words and preparing the way for tyranny. In other words, words matter. Truth matters. I still believe in absolute truth. Even in this age of whatever we want to describe it as being, I still believe in absolute truth. Not my truth, not your truth, but absolute truth. There are still divine principles that if we live in harmony with those divine principles, we will be blessed. If we live in violation of those divine principles, we will be destroyed. It was true for Egypt. It was true for Babylon. It was true for the Roman Empire, and it is true for us today. The divine truth of God is still solidly set in place, just like the law of gravity. Now, you can argue with me about the relativity of the law of gravity, but if you go on top of this building and you, drop, you jump from the top of this building, I'm here to tell you. The law of gravity is going to prove that you were wrong when we try to scrape you up off the ground. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it is a dangerous thing when people don't allow their yes to be yes and their no to be no. When Jesus spoke truth, he spoke truth definitively because he himself was the very embodiment of truth. So not only is he the word, but the words that came from his mouth are words of truth that we must adhere to. Jesus even said to the Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. And we've become so sophisticated now until we feel as if it is unsophisticated to believe in the authenticity of the Bible, to believe in the inspiration of the Bible. Maybe that's why some of us don't feel inspired anymore is because we don't believe in the inspiration of the word. Ooh, y'all quiet. <laughs> but we must remember that whatever Jesus taught, he intended for us to hear it and to apply it. Any human being that will hear the teachings of Jesus, that will hear the words of Jesus and will practice them, Jesus says that person is a wise person who is building his or her life on the solid foundation, which is the rock of truth. Those who hear the words of Jesus and they began to engage in mental gymnastics to where they're finding loopholes in what Jesus has said, 
finding ways to relax his teaching. That is, in essence, building one's life upon wet sand. And there is coming a time when we all will have our foundations tested. The storms are coming. The storm clouds are already gathering. And the rains have already started to fall. And when the bad weather hits, it's going to reveal what our lives have really been built upon. Whenever the weather gets bad and the winds begin to beat up against the house of my life, and when I see the flood waters rising, I want to make sure that my life has been built upon something that will outlast time itself. I don't know about you, but I have not found a better foundation than Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I want to stand on Christ. I want to stand on the words of Christ. Because when you stand on the words of people and false prophets, those are shaky words. They will say one thing today and will say something completely different tomorrow. Can I get an amen? But the word of the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I want to stand on him. All I want to know is Christ and him crucified. And I know that that's your desire too. That when the world asks you, when the storm starts hitting you, who is your Lord? I hope you will be courageous enough to say, my Lord is Christ. Even if your life is threatened, I hope that you will say that your Lord is Christ. Christ is all I ever want to know. If I have to go to the White House by invitation or to the poor house by initiation, I want to let them know that all I know is Christ. If I have to sit on the bedside of an elderly saint that is about to cross over here to the other side of the Jordan River, I want to say to that individual that Christ lives. If I have to go and talk to the farmers in the heat of the noonday sun, I want to let them know that Christ lives. When I get ready to press my dying pillar and get ready to take my last breath, I hope that they can lean their ears down to my lips and I want to say as softly or as loudly as I can that Christ lives. And when I get up on that resurrection morning, ready to sing a song that I've never sang before, I want to be able to say that Christ lives. He still lives in the world today and he is the solid foundation. Amen, y'all. I'm just excited. He lives and he still is the embodiment, the manifold wisdom of God. That's who Jesus is. Now, let me just say this in closing, in my first conclusion here tonight. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I want to let you know 
And there's a whole lot of words that are circulating in our environment today that are supposed to be words of wisdom. But I want to encourage you to discern between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world. Listen, don't get entangled in the affairs of this life because you ain't got long to be here no half. Another, another, another 50 years, I'll be 105. <laughs> I can't even think that far ahead. 105? I mean, even if, 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 if people know who I am, I won't even know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all of the things that we think are so utterly and urgently important that, 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 that got to do with life in this world. We have to remind ourselves this is not our permanent home. We are just passing through here. And I don't care how much beauty and handsomeness you may have or how much money and clout and fame and reputation you have. After a while, we all going to be potential dust in some lonesome graveyard somewhere. So why get caught up in the affairs of a world that is only temporary. And Jesus would remind us, those who have been called by his divine name are called to live according to a wisdom that is not of this world. We have been called to live by the words that come from his mouth. You remember, Jesus asked him, and in the Gospel of John, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the what? The words of life. Not the words of death, but the words of life. Now, in James 3, verses 13 through 18, um, let me check and see here, because I just got back from Africa. And I'm still on Africa time. <laughs> So they require for you to preach a whole hour over there. <laughs> I thought they were playing at first and I tried to go under hour. They made me get back up and start preaching. <laughs> well, I never had that to happen before. <laughs> but James 3 verses 13 through 18. These are the words that I want to close with. And I hope that we hear him speaking to us through these words. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Humility that comes from wisdom. Now, if it's not humility, wisdom didn't produce it. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. 
he goes on to say, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. It is impartial. It is sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You shall know a tree by the fruit that it bears. So when we investigate our own lives, are we operating according to the wisdom that is from heaven, or are we operating according to the wisdom that is of this world? If we're operating according to the wisdom that is from heaven, we will be submissive, we will be humble, we will be considerate, and we will be peace-loving human beings. Blessed are the peacemakers, but they shall be called the children of God. In Matthew 7, those words that Jesus said, if we put into practice, that we're building a house on the rock, those are the words that produce peace in our lives that will develop in us God's very own nature as he dwells in us through the person and the power of his spirit. Now, how are we going to walk in this life? Are we going to walk according to the heavenly wisdom or according to the earthly wisdom? And how does he define the earthly wisdom? It is full of selfish ambition. It's a me-first attitude. It's a dog-eat-dog attitude. I'm going to climb my way to the top, but I don't care who I have to step on to get there. It is full of jealousy. It is full of competition. It is full of bitterness. It is full of hatred. And we cannot live according to both wisdoms. We got to choose. Amen? And so Jesus says, if we choose the heavenly wisdom, we're building our house on a solid foundation. If we choose the earthly wisdom, we're building our house on sand. And I know none of us want to build our lives on sand. Give me the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And I know that you too want to build your life on the rock. I'm not talking about the actor. I'm talking about the real rock that will endure the test of time. And you know what that does? That removes all bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, malice, hatred. It gets rid of all of that when we live according to the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ, when we live according to the wisdom that is not of this world. But if we live according to the wisdom of this world, we will be filled with animosity. We will be filled with bitterness. We will be filled with an unforgiving spirit. We will hold, we will hold a grudge against others. We will have a, a vindictive spirit. All of that is demonic. It is unspiritual. It is ungodly. And it is not of Christ. And so, as I force myself to go to my seat right now, We are members of the church of Christ. The church of Christ. 
not the church of the world, but the church of Christ. He owns us because we are in it. We are part of the body. We are members of it, and he is our head. And if Christ is the head of the body, which is the church, then the members ought to be submissive to the lordship of the head. Amen? Amen. So my right hand doesn't have any business telling my left hand you don't have a right to be a part of the body. We're in this thing together under the same lordship of the same head. Amen? Amen? And that's how Christ wants us to embrace his teachings so that we're all looking to the same head, the same Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the head of his church of which we are a part. We are members of it and members one of another. May God bless you as you continue your journey on your way home.